Matt, thank you for that. After that announcement, I think we should just pray and go straight to the table. <laughs> but we have prepared a few words, uh, and it is Pentecost Sunday, the day that we celebrate the gift of the Spirit to the church and how the Spirit turns our lives and the world upside down. We're going to look at the gift of the Spirit through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts actually concludes by saying that the kingdom of God, the gospel, the good news, the reign of Jesus went forth in his world with all boldness and without hindrance. And so the question I want us to try to answer this morning is, what would it look like for us to enter into that reality and to have as individuals and as a community the kingdom of God in our hearts and in our lives in such a way that it goes forward with great boldness and without hindrance? And what does it mean for us to be a part of a community that's been turning the world upside down for millennia? What does it look like for us to turn our own lives upside down? And what does it look like to be sent from this place to turn the world upside down? How might the Spirit be at work in our lives to bring His life-giving love to us and to our world? So with that in mind, let's read the text, and then we'll uh, look at that text this morning. We have a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 and 42 through 47. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask as we attend to it for the next few minutes that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and wills to obey, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up, and that we might enter into his story this day. For his name we pray, amen. Well, in the early 1990s and in the 2000s, a television revolution began that continues strong to this day. And I'm thinking of the explosion of reality TV and shows like American Idol, Survivor, Shark Tank, Amazing Race, and even Donald Trump's The Apprentice. Uh, these shows vary in detail, but they do have certain things in common. They take people who are not actors, and typically who are not celebrities, and they put them in a situation where they must perform or compete in order to stay on the show and win the prize. And one by one, they're either eliminated by their peers or by judges. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm suspicious of a lot of things, and I'm especially suspicious of how real reality TV is. I know that there's a lot of editing, I know there's a lot of behind the scenes politicking that happens, and I know that what we see on the screen isn't reality. And I don't know about you, uh, but I've never been on an island to outwit, outsmart, outplay, outlast my peers. I've never been in front of a panel to pitch a business idea. I've never lived in a house with total strangers for months at a time, and likely neither have you. But despite how unlike real life reality TV is, its popularity is undeniable. New shows keep popping up all over the place with new twists and turns on certain basic assumptions. And know this, reality TV is not going to be uh, stopped being made until we stop watching it. And as we've watched some of these shows over the years as a family, we've noticed several things in common. First, these communities come together, whether it's on an island or in a kitchen or in a home, and these communities are inherently secular. They don't talk about the reality of God. They don't acknowledge that they are citizens who live in God's world. They don't act as if they're dependent upon God for everything. They don't enter into the worship of God. From time to time, somebody may talk about their faith, and then usually that is quickly dismissed, or sometimes that person then gets voted off the very next uh, episode because of their faith. Second, uh, the individuals that make up these communities intentionally and vigorously and diligently commit themselves to certain practices. People that go on The Voice hone their singing skills. People that go on Cake Wars perfect their baking skills. People that go on Biggest Loser commit themselves to certain practices of exercise and diet. They're willing to submit themselves to these disciplines, these habits, these practices in order to experience success. And then third, the people that are on these shows are seeking some sort of self-attainment, self-fulfillment, self-improvement. They're on the show for fame, and maybe they're outright about that. Uh, they're on the show maybe to overcome a demon in their life, a, a dark time in their life. Uh, or they're, over, they're on the show just to achieve something and to try to make a name for themselves in some way. As they perform on these shows, they enter into a very Darwinistic world and life view. Only the strong survive on these shows. Rats and roaches live under these types of laws as well. But people are to live under the laws of justice, under the laws of love, and under the laws of mercy. And friends, as you and I are often swept away by the principles and the values that we see on these shows, this vision of reality, a secular vision, a Darwinistic vision, a self-centered vision, our culture's vision of reality should cause all of us this morning, whether we acknowledge that we're a Christian or not, to stop and ask the question, what is real? What does the real world look like? What should the real world look like? What is true of the world that we're a part of? 
what is aspirational about the world that we live in. What should this world really and truly look like? And the verses that we just read in the book of Acts gives us the answer. That we're called to live into a world that is not dominated by secularism and the reality that God does not exist, but rather a world that's shaped by the worship and the love of the one true God. That we're called to enter into a world not given over to selfishness, but a world given over to sacrificial love and service. And reality TV in many ways portrays a world that has caved in on itself, a world that fails and refuses to love God and love neighbors. And friends, this was no different for the early church, the world that they lived in, the reality that they inhabited, the cultures and the cities and the kingdoms that they lived in were no different. They were worlds and cities far from experiencing the love of God and the love of mankind. Their world, like our world, was a selfish, cutthroat world. But into that world, the church began to flourish. The church began to grow. Into that world, the church actually dismantled the Roman Empire and the principles that shaped it. Into that world, the church became an alternate reality, an alternate city, an alternate society, an alternate world that people began to live out the principles of the kingdom of heaven, and it began to change their world. And the church grew, the church flourished, and the church began to shape what the real world was supposed to look like, the world of Jesus and his spirit. And the church embodied this story in three radical life-giving ways, and we want to look at those ways together this morning. First, the church, as we saw in our text, was a community that was devoted to the worship of the one true God. Worship was rampant in the secular world. Worship was rampant in the Roman Empire. Worship in Roman cities were filled with many types of deities. There were temples everywhere on every street corner. Romans were polytheists, and they worshipped many, many different gods for the many different types of needs that they had in their lives. They had gods for children, for money, for power, for pleasure, for peace, for success. And the fastest form of worship, the fastest growing form of worship in the Roman Empire was the worship of the emperor. As the emperor, their Caesar represented military conquest, advancement, security, and peace in their world. And so it was into this world that the church began to practice a different reality, that the church began to practice the reality of the one the worship of the one true God. The church became a different temple to the Roman temples in their cities. In the verses in Acts chapter 2, the first four verses that we read, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God, and the Holy Spirit empowers the people of God with his presence. And we read of the Spirit's power coming to them as wind and fire. And when you look at the other portions of Scripture, and when you see a description of the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament, 
when you read of a prophet being taken up into God's heavenly temple, God's heavenly kingdom, the description always includes wind and fire and the spirit of God. And so where there's wind and where there's fire and where there's the spirit of God, there is a temple. That's where God dwells. That's where God's presence is. And what Acts chapter 2 is teaching us is now wind and fire and the spirit are not found in brick and mortar, but they're found in living stones. They're found in the people of God. His children are now where the presence and glory of God rests. And as these early Christians sat in this old temple, they're about to lose something very, very important to them that shaped them for years and years and years as the people of God. They're about to lose the brick and mortar, but they're about to receive so much more. They gain the presence of God. They gain the power of God, not in brick and mortar, but in their very selves, in their very souls. And they're going to be sent out from this place in order to embody and inhabit the life of God in the world. And so they're going to represent a new reality, a new way of worship, worship in spirit and worship in truth. They're going to show us that through the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, that his story continues through his people by the work of his spirit. And they're going to go into these Roman cities that are shaped by worship in their temples, and they're going to embody a different reality as a new temple people. And their worship is going to be centered on sacrificial love and sacrificial service to King Jesus. And they're going to change the world around them. You see, in these Roman cities, temples were everywhere. And Roman cities were very bloody places because it required blood sacrifice in order to worship in these Roman temples. Day after day after day, Roman cities were filled with blood. They were filled with the sacrifices of these animals. But wherever the church of God went in these Roman cities, they announced and they embodied the good news of Jesus, that he was the final and that he was the complete, and he was the perfect sacrifice. They announced the end of sacrifice in Jesus' name. Rome's economy, in many ways, was built around temple sacrifices, built around the selling of these animals, the killing of these animals. And just a few centuries after the death of Jesus, Rome's temple economy collapsed. There was no more need for these Roman temples because the Christians went into these cities and announced that Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the end of sacrifice. And these other temples became obsolete. These early Christians changed the way that people viewed worship. They changed the way that people viewed relationship with God. And friends, the same is true for us today. As we seek to embody the real world, the real world of Acts, the world where we as the people of God are devoted to the worship of God, other forms of worship will collapse around us. The truth, the goodness, the beauty of our God 
are far more attractive than any other deity's form. The sacrificial love of Jesus and the way that his community seeks to embody it in the world is far more appealing than any other way of life. Friends, when we see the people of God live drastically different lives to the world, we'll attract the world to us. We'll attract the world to our God, to his beauty, to his goodness, to his mercy, to his grace. There's no greater story than the story of our God and of his kingdom. And so the way that we embody the real world is just like these early Christians, committing ourselves to worship, committing ourselves to becoming a new temple people. The second way that we embody the real world is by devoting ourselves to particular practices. And we see these especially in the verses that we read, verses 42 to 47. We see the early church giving herself to the practice of study, to the practice of hospitality, to sacrificial giving, and to service. Friends, the world has a way of thinking about formation, but it's not Christian life giving formation. The world tends to pursue formation for the benefit of oneself, our own personal benefits, our health benefits, our financial benefits, our relational benefits. Christians, on the other hand, pursue formation for the benefits of others. We give ourselves to certain habits and practices in order that we might bring the life of God to others, in order that we might be a blessing to others, in order that we might build others up in the name of our Savior. The early church, as she gave herself to the discipline and to the practice of love, became an explosive community in the world. She grew from a very small band of disciples following Jesus after his resurrection to more than 3,000 following Pentecost, which we just read about, to a group too numerous to count following the first few centuries of her life. She grew from Jerusalem and this place of God's temple to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. She inhabited and infiltrated the entire Roman world. She grew because she devoted herself to practices of love. She gave herself to practices of love, and as she did, the new world, the new reality showed up in these communities and took greater and greater shape. And friends, as we think about how the church might flourish, the church might grow, the church might be an explosive community in our cities today, it only be as we commit ourselves to the practices of love. That's how God works. That's how God sends his spirit. It's as we commit ourselves to not being self-focused and self-consumed, but rather sacrificial and self-giving, that the spirit of God shows up and the spirit of God changes our lives and through us begins to change our communities. And we see these practices in Acts, the practice of hospitality and giving and service, that these are radical practices in their community. These are practices that changed the people of God, that made them generous and forgiving and loving people. 
And as they embody that in their communities, it changed their communities as well. The church is a place where we don't exist for ourselves, but where we exist for others. Where we want to share the grace that we've received, where we want to share the life of God that we've received. C.S. Lewis once said that a man wrapped up in himself makes for a very small package. And the same is true for a church. The church is not called to be a community wrapped up in herself, wrapped up in her own needs, her own wants, her own desires. If she does, she'll quickly suffocate and die. The church is called to be a community that's seeking to bring the grace that we receive in this place out into the world and to shape the world to become the world that God wants it to be. As a church wraps herself around others, around the needs of her friends and neighbors, her households, she quickly grows, she quickly expands, she quickly takes on new life. And like this group of disciples, we are called to give ourselves to certain practices as well, to the practice of hospitality, to the practice of prayer, to the practice of giving, to the practice of service. We want these practices to shape our lives so that we become people of love. We were given our lips for love. We were given our hands for love. We were given our feet for love. And we see in the early community that they gave themselves to love in these particular ways. So friends, we're called to embody the real world as we devote ourselves to worship. We're called to embody the real world as we devote ourselves to practices of love. And then thirdly, we're called to embody the real world as we devote ourselves to service. We're called to serve. And we see in this passage that this early church served generously and sacrificially by sharing everything that they had and giving to everyone in their community who had need. And as they did that, and as they continued to do that in the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down, and the kingdom of God grew and flourished in their world. And it'll do so today in ours as well. As a church, we want to be a community that's marked by service, by the service of one another, by the service of our friends and our neighbors and our communities. We want to be marked more and more by sacrificial giving, by self-denying, self-giving love. We want to give ourselves away in real, intangible ways, not only to the people who call grace and peace home, but to those who are friends and neighbors and are in desperate need of the real world. And we want to do so faithfully, realizing that the Spirit of God gives energy and strength and wisdom to the people of God as they seek to move out into his world and to serve it in Jesus' name. Throughout the book of Acts, we read stories of healing. We read stories of restoration. We read stories of welcome. We read stories of growth. Because this small band of disciples went out into their world and served one another in Jesus' name. And the same is true for us. And so what it, would it look like for us to embody the real world, to embody the world of acts, a world of service, a world of self-denying love, more than what we see on our television, 
Well, let me try to give you two examples and two applications. First, this summer, as individuals, as households, in your parish groups, commit yourself to prayer. Commit yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to daily listen to God and receive his wisdom and to respond to that wisdom in prayer. You see, it's when we begin to pray that the real world, God's world, begins to take shape in our lives. When we begin to pray, we begin to become overwhelmed. We begin to become amazed. We begin to become consumed by the love and the grace of God. We begin to realize what we have received as people who are needy and desperate for God's love. And we're overwhelmed by that, and we want to share that with others. As we begin to pray, even if it's ever so briefly, we stop to think about all the tasks and all the pressures and all the stressors that we're facing as human beings, and we turn our attention to God, to the reality that he is bigger than all of him, to reality that he is above all of them, When we pray, we begin to ask God's kingdom to come to shape our lives and to shape our world more than our own kingdoms, more than our own desires. And so friends, together this summer, let's devote ourselves to prayer. That's what this early community did. They devoted themselves to prayer, and when they prayed, the Spirit of God showed up, and the Spirit of God changed their individual lives, and it changed their communities. And then second, this summer, let's devote ourselves to the practice of service. Intentionally serve somebody. Pick somebody out, a friend, a neighbor, a loved one. Even practice hospitality, the love of a stranger. Service is how the Spirit continually comes to our own lives and to his world. There are lots of ways that you can serve. We've got lots of ministry partners, and you can call one of them up and say, how could I serve this summer? I maybe have a little bit more time. I'd love to partner with you. I'd love to serve in some way. Service and sacrificial love are to mark us as the people of God because that's what the Christian story is all about. God so loved his world. God so served his world by sending the greatest servant of all, Jesus, to live and die for his world. And Jesus, the one that came to love and serve his world, continues to give the gift of his very spirit to his church so that we can be sent out to love and serve his world as well. And so pick a way to serve this summer. Let me encourage you who are families and who have children, especially to set this example before your children. Serve together as families. Serve through a ministry, through a church, through VBS, uh, through a backyard Bible club. Serve in some way together as a family. Friends, prayer and service always go together. If we only pray without serving, we'll be like a blender. A blender that's plugged into the power, but never gets turned on. Never mixes anything up. Never changes anything. Prayer plugs us into God's power, but it's through service that the Spirit of God begins to move, that the Spirit of God begins to whirl in his world. If we only serve and we don't pray, then we're just like any other human institution that has a good cause. 
There's lots of great institutions out there with lots of great causes. Good work is done. But it's not done in Jesus' name. Prayer and service are Christian ways of living in the world. Prayer and service are the ways that we, as the people of God, bring the real world to bear in our own lives and in our own communities. Prayer and spiritual formation, service and mission are inseparable. We need them both. And we see them both most fully and completely embodied in Jesus. Jesus prayed perfectly. Jesus knew how to pray. Jesus knew how to get alone, to be with his father, to be strengthened and energized by his father. He knew how to pray. And Jesus knew how to serve. He knew how to serve perfectly. In each and every situation that he encountered, he knew exactly how to serve and love other people. And we'll never pray perfectly and we'll never serve perfectly. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Pentecost is that our Savior gives us a gift of the Spirit so that in his name we can, in small but real ways, learn how to pray. And we can, in small but real ways, learn how to serve. We'll do it imperfectly. We'll never get it like we should. But that's the point. He continues to give his spirit. He continues to give us his life. He continues to give us his grace so that we can embody his world, the world of his kingdom in our worlds. Friends, the book of Acts, it is the real world. These verses that we read in Acts chapter 2, this is the real world. This is the world that we're called to live in. We're called to devote ourselves to worship. We're called to devote ourselves to the practices of love. We're called to devote ourselves to service. And when we do these things, the spirit of God that was first given to his church on the day of Pentecost will show up in our lives as well and will turn us and our world once again upside down. For this we need his help. For this we need his grace. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would not be shaped by the worlds that we see in our culture, especially that we see embodied in our televisions, but that we would be shaped by the real world, a world of love, a world of life, a world of service, a world of worship. And that this day, we, in small but real ways, would embody what we've just read about from your early church. That we would devote ourselves to prayer. That we would devote ourselves to one another. That we would give in such a way that there would not be one of us who would have need. Lord, may this world, may this reality shape our lives. For this, we need your Holy Spirit. For this, we need Jesus. And we thank you that we have a Savior who is with us, who gives us his spirit now. And so send us out to embody this real world in our lives this week. For Christ's name we pray. Amen.